0: another way to play episode 37
1: hey this is jesse paul smith and if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last then you should be listening to another way to play with my buddy hans strusina welcome to another way to play your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9 to 5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter
0: of your life better than your last. This is another way to play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is another way to play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is a new friend, someone I met at the Build Your Network live cool. event hosted by uh, Travis Chapel, and someone who's in the mastermind that I'm now a part of and really excited to get to know better, Jesse Paul Smith. Uh, Jesse has been in the sales game for over 20 years. He's been training and leading teams uh, for some of the best and biggest brands like Best Buy, Verizon, uh, and Miracle Ear. Most recently, uh, he and his friend took the Miracle Ear franchise from a four hundred and seventy-six thousand uh, dollars company in sales volume to over four million dollars in sales in just four years. Uh, he now helps entrepreneurs and other sales professionals uh, to do the same with his sales process that converts formula. Jesse started from humble roots. His parents were, you know, lower middle class, as He puts it. His dad works for the parks department and had a very uh, strong upbringing around money relative to it doesn't grow on trees. We're not those kind of people. We're not on the right side of the tracks, which fired Jesse up to go figure out a new way to uh, approach life and to create a life for himself. Through his performance, through hip hop dancing and uh, his, his music career, he ended up out in Hollywood, danced with some pretty big time names uh, like Justin Timberlink, and ended up getting a record deal, which unfortunately uh, was a really bad record deal and set him back uh, almost to the brink of bankruptcy. Um, but he, at that moment, called a friend uh, who was doing very well in the hearing aids sales franchise business. Um, and he thought to himself, who do I know who's making a lot of money and is doing something that I think would be cool and how can I get around them? So we go into uh, mentorship and picking a mentor and then figuring out how to add value to that person. He ultimately did and built uh, the sales program that I mentioned just a few minutes earlier and has now uh, been in the sales game for quite a number of years. If you are in sales, uh, you want to learn how to be more influential or just generally deal with people better, this is the episode for you, I'm telling you. Jesse has some really, really great practical advice and figures to back it up, but he talks about, generally speaking, getting into the motion, getting three layers deep or more in into what does that mean for you? How would that feel? uh, And the like. So uh, definitely listen up for that at the end. And uh, Jesse has uh, a really great offer for those of you who want to take this education of sales into a bit of a deeper dive. Don't typically like the the hard close, he's got a really great strategy and a really great way to make that happen for you. So uh, before we get into uh, this episode, if you get value out of this, if this is resonating with you, please uh, go on to Apple or uh, iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, hit subscribe, and please leave me a written rating and review because it really helps with the algorithms. And if you're really liking what I'm saying, uh, f- go into the show notes, find my Calendly link, and let's connect. Let's let's have a conversation of our own, get to know one another, and uh, see how we can make this podcast better and, and what questions I should be asking these guests and all of that good stuff. So uh, without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and bring in Jesse Paul Smith. All right, Jesse. Thank you so much for being on this show. I really appreciate you coming on and being a guest today. No, man, this is awesome. I appreciate you uh, letting me come on here. You're more than welcome. I mean, from when we were just chatting last weekend at Build Your Network Live, I just knew that you were someone I wanted to get to know better and um, definitely someone I wanted to bring on the show. So I'm glad we made it happen so quickly. But before we get into what you're kind of doing now and some of the cool stuff you have going on, let's, let's back up and build a little bit of context. Like, you know, let's start with where your story began. Like, how did you, how did you start out in life?
1: Well, man, I, I uh, grew up in a small town, I guess relative small town is kind of relative 28,000 people, Superior, Wisconsin. Um, I was born in Duluth, which is right across, literally right across the bridge from Superior. They call them the twin ports, Duluth, Minnesota and Superior, Wisconsin are like you know sister cities and so i spent most of my time up there um you know <laughs> in the cold tundra spending 9 months uh, of the year in winter as it seems but uh my you know i come from a pretty humble background my my dad worked for the city of Duluth as a park maintenance forestry guy really quiet guy but he was one of those he was kind of one of those like people that was of the old school that was the only job that he ever had he wow. he started that job and then he retired with that job. And so, uh, my mom was a aspiring RN. She had her LPNs license. Uh, but in 1991, she got into a car accident that disabled her. So she was not able to work. And so we, we kind of grew up on a, we grew up in a low income or a low middle-class family. My dad never made more than $35,000 a year, um, doing the job that he did. And we had four, four, uh, kids in our, in our home, um, along with my mom and dad and my mom and dad are, You know they've been they've been married now for uh, 43 years, and so I grew up always knowing what it was like to not have money. Um, Because my my dad, I watched my dad every other Friday um, sit down at a kitchen table and write out the bills and hear his frustration almost every single time, saying that there's more bills than there are money. And Hmm. it was at that, it was, you know, as a young age, I made a really big promise to myself that, uh, I was never going to be poor. And so, you know, even going through school, I was always wondering like, what kind of jobs can I have to make a lot of money? And so I was involved in music my whole life. And, um, you know, but my mom was always inching me towards the medical field. And she goes, you know, you're really good at sales. She goes, I really think you'd be good at sales, but there's really money in the medical field. Mm -hmm. And so through high school, I was part of, you know, you know, junior high and high school, I, I always was a part of these little groups that I had to go and sell stuff, right? I had to go and sell candy bars or coupon books or something. And I would always be the top salesperson. I'd always sell like crazy. But my mom was always telling me, listen you need to, you need to make money. You need to make money. If you're going to make money, you got to go to school and you got to, you got to, you know, go into the medical field. And so um, my, my career job uh, or my career day at, at school was literally sitting down in a, in a computer office in 1997, sitting in a computer office. And the, the counselor says, okay, go research jobs. That was my career counseling. Mm. Day. And all I did was type in jobs that make more than $150,000 a year this was 1997 nurse anesthetist came in, came up, I I saw, I saw a brain surgeon and then realized I had to go to school for 12 more years. I said, Nope, don't like school that much. Um, (laughs) and so the nurse anesthetist, the average income was $180,000 and all you needed to go to school was for six years. I said, well, I can kind of stomach that for $180,000 a year. And, uh, that's what I decided I was going to do. But I was quickly, I quickly realized that that wasn't for me after my first semester of college, sitting in a a nursing home, getting my CNA credentials and hiding in the closets, the supply closets, because I was so miserable. I didn't want to go in and change another diaper uh, mm. of some, you know, adult. It just wasn't comfortable for me. And I I just, I didn't know what to do. So I literally took a semester off of college, took a sales job at a construction company and never went back.
0: Man, that's, that's a, Really interesting story. I mean, one thing that I find interesting talking to people, especially about their upbringing, which is why I like to start there often is, you know, the influence of your parents and the way things were modeled to you or or pushed on you in some cases is sometimes what really influences your life. And you had two pretty strong influences at it sounds like, especially your mom pushing you to medicine, which, which led you through some of college, but not all of it. And then your dad, in that story you just told about you know, not having enough money and, and cash to pay the bills. When you saw that, like, what was it like? Why do you think you triggered uh, as, as somebody who wanted to make more money, get out of that lifestyle, get away from that, as opposed to that's how the way the world works and, and kind of sunk yourself into that space?
1: You know, I, I, I don't know, because there was definitely, there was definitely a split in belief system, right? There was this, there was this belief system that, you know, even my dad used to tell me, like, you know, we didn't grow up on the right side of the tracks, or we just weren't that lucky family. And if you were really going to have money, it needed to be like something you inherited, or you know what I mean? Like, it was kind of like that, you got to be struck by lightning in order to be successful. But I just had this, this desire so bad that I was like, I've got to be able to figure out a way that can, you know, that can, that can break those, whatever barriers to entry it takes. And there, there's got to be a way to, you know, for me to figure it out. And because of the, because of my family, like they just didn't run in social circles, that money was available. So Mm -hmm. to me, it did seem like this unattainable thing. There had to be a way to be able to obtain it. And I'm a guy that is completely pleasure motivated, right? Some people are motivated by pain and some people are motivated by pleasure. I'm an all pleasure guy. So like I wanted to be able to have the pleasure of going and traveling the world and doing these things. And, and I just had this weird, like belief that there's gotta be a way to figure it out. And that just, that drove me every single day to always be trying.
0: And it sounds like during the the upbringing and even into college, like you had this this sort of grinding of gears, if you will, against the the position your mom especially was taking relative to studying medicine. And then you're like, "Nah, sales is, seems like a pretty good route. Like there has to be a way to figure this out." Can you can you talk about a time when in your trajectory as, as a young person you uh, came up against it? Uh, may, you know, you talked about your mom already, but someone trying to push you away from being more entrepreneurial, be, you know, going out and getting a sales job and into something quote unquote safe. And then, um, how that ultimately shaped what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, what I didn't bring up is that I, 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 I've been doing music my whole life. Um, my first concert was singing the books of the Bible in my, uh, when I was three years old at my church, after I sang that song, I actually got put on a church tour because a bunch of people were visiting that day and saw me sing and I started singing at all these different churches and so Mm. at a young age I started to taste the stage I started to get really really fascinated with performing for other people and um, you know even though the the reality of the situation was you know my mom was pushing me to to do medicine and I was trying to figure out all these things deep down inside my hundred percent passion and desire in life was to to do music professionally and so every job that i had once i dropped out of college every job that i had was a means to an end to get me to hollywood Mm. and 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 so everybody was telling me i needed to get my head out of the clouds and that i needed to find a job that i was going to settle into you know that i could i could generate this this safe income and this predictable checks and all these different mm-hmm. kinds of things and so even in my sales jobs like m- people would try to push me to a bla- a base plus type of an environment so it was like you had this base salary and then you made bonuses or whatever the deal is and you and i both know that the way to make money in sales is 100% commission mm-hmm. and so it there was always this because of my because of my upbringing and even in my my grandpa, my grandpa as well, like they are so security driven that everything had to be safe. And so, um, when I, I remember when I, when I went down and auditioned in Florida in 2005 and I got scouted by one of the major dance industry or dance agencies in LA. And I told my parents that I was going to be, that I was going to be moving to LA. And they asked me what my plan was. They asked me, I said, I don't have a plan. I'm going there to get signed by my agency. And then we're going to auditions and I'm going to figure it out. I can't tell you how many times I had people call me and tell me, you know what? I think this is great that you've got the strength to do this, but you really need to get like, you need, do you realize how many people are in LA trying to do what you want to do? Do you really think this is smart? Do you really think that this is a good idea? Like you have all this talent and you you're going to go waste it trying to chase your dreams in California. Like, the idea of playing it safe was so indoctrinated in the circle that I, that I ran in that I met it every single day until I moved out there. And then it, and then it got even
0: worse. I had people calling me and asking me when I was going to come home. And how did you combat that? I mean, like you, you, you didn't stop when you moved out there. Like you were just getting it left, right and center. It sounds like from people you care about and pay, who, who to their credit cared about you and probably wanted what they thought was best for you. But um you clearly saw another way like how did you work through that in your own mind so that it wasn't something that debilitated you and put you in a in a negative space to to not succeed and chase your goals
1: you know if you would have asked me that question uh during that time i wouldn't have been able to really give you an answer but now after like spending the last five years of my life, like diving into personal growth and understanding how our mind works and everything else like that. What I've been able to come up to a, what I've been able to realize is that, you know, in school I was, I was bullied really bad. There was two desires that I had in life. Um, ever since I was a little kid and that one desire was, I wanted to be significant. I wanted to do something significant with my life where people knew my name. They understood that I wasn't just being average that i was i was doing something significant with my life not only for myself but for other people and then the other driv- driving passion was that i wanted to be loved and accepted because i was mm-hmm. bullied in school i felt like i was insignificant because nobody wanted to pay attention to me everybody wanted the only kind of attention they wanted to give me is if they wanted to knock me around on the playground um mm-hmm. you know i spent the first 45 minutes of my uh my 7th grade year getting very familiar with the inside of my locker. Um, you know, mm. those are the kinds of, so there was a very emotional triggers for me. And if you, you know, they always say that if your why doesn't make you cry, it's not big enough. My perception was that if, it, when I looked around at the popular kids and I looked around at the people that seemed to have all these friends, it was the ones that did cool things, right? Like the star basketball player, star football player, you know, Um, whoever was, whoever had a platform and was, was crushing it in that platform seemed to be the one that would earn all the attention of other people. And what I didn't have a good understanding of was that my value came from who I was, not what I did. And so I had this emotional charge that drove me every single day to want to be accepted, to want to be significant and staying home. Wasn't going to get me either of those things. And so the only way that I was going to get those things is if I got on stage and I did something significant with my life. So it didn't matter how many times you knocked me down. I had the understanding unconsciously, right? I was unconsciously competent at that point mm-hmm. that, that if I stayed down, I was never going to be significant and I was never going to be loved. That was my perception. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that was enough to drive me to get up every single day, no matter how many times I failed. I mean, I went to a hundred auditions, a hundred. Wow. I got told no a hundred times before I first scored my first $200 gig. And so that's really what drove me to, to continue to get back up.
0: Dude, that's awesome, and you're and you're clearly very passionate about that. and and I love that you said that you didn't necessarily consciously think through it at the time, but looking back on it, you've you've been able to put these words to it. Um, if you're talking to somebody now who, is going through something like that. They're up against it. They're out on their own. They're, they're doing something that's quote unquote unsafe. You know, they're hearing no a lot, whatever it is, like, what advice can you give them to, to sort of keep going and break through if, if they're, if they're kind of on the fence about um, quitting, going back home, you know, shutting down the business, whatever it is, like, what, what would you tell that person based on what you've experienced so far?
1: Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I can, that I can give anybody is, is, you know, people, people intellectually understand the value of their why, because it's now being something that's spoken about so often. But I think because it's being spoken about so often, in some regards, people disregard it too, because it's almost becoming common language. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people understand the, the importance of, a, of, of their why, because energy or emotion is really the the fuel that pushes us to get anything done. And really, when you take a look at at emotion, it's actually emotion is, uh, derived from the word that means energy in motion. And so if you want to get something going, it's gotta be done. We're emotional beings. So mm-hmm. if you want, if you want the fuel to push through, cause you're, you're getting combated one way, you've got negative energy coming at you one way, you're going to need something else to push against that negative energy to keep you going in the, in the opposite direction. Otherwise it's just going to keep pushing you back. And so like, if, 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 if you can just sit down and literally take 10, 15, 30 minutes, whatever it takes to sit down and actually ask yourself, why am I doing this? Like really, what is the why should I sell houses? Why should I sell vacuum cleaners? Why should I sell hearing aids? Why should I sell cars? Why should I go to Hollywood? Whatever the reason is, it's not what we're doing that's important. It's why we're doing it. And so Dude. if you can build that foundation, that's going to be the thing that's going to get you through everything.
0: One of the things that I'm thinking about a lot right now is, is the type of question that we ask ourselves. I just had Zachary Babcock on the podcast a couple of days ago, a guy who spent nearly five years in prison, uh, lost his sister to drug overdose, had a crazy story, but is now killing it as an entrepreneur. And he talks about a story when he was in the hole, um, and pretty, you know, which is solitary confinement and, and pretty depressed, and, and then had this epiphany of like, I'm not getting out of here, the situation physically is not gonna change for another month or two, so what can I do to make myself happier? And that sort of set him on a, on a trajectory um, to be where he's at today. And, and the first thing he talks about is like the quality of the question you're asking yourself, which you just alluded to, why am I doing this? As opposed to why is this happening? Why have I gotten a hundred no's? You know, Mm. why is my family telling me to play it safe and get into medicine or to come home or whatever? And instinctually, as you said, we're emotional beings. We always look for, uh, know the answer to whatever question we're asking and then back it up with with some of these emotions and if you're asking yourself those bad questions or those negative questions you're going to find an answer yep and likewise if you find a good question to ask you know you're going to go look for that answer and so it's just a matter of the quality of the questions you ask and i and i love that you brought that up so getting back to your story here man you, you heard 100 No's, you moved out to Hollywood, you're getting, getting it from home, getting it from your friends, getting it from the audition staff, and then you got that first gig. How did that, like, what, what trajectory did that take you in? And then, um, you know, you obviously did some crazy things with dance and performing. So, like, how did, how did that start after that first $200 gig? You know,
1: I mean, it did move me in, in the right direction, but uh, because I didn't have the right mindset training, also the $200 gig felt like more of a slap in the face than it did a, a win. One of the big things that that people often make a mistake on when it comes to setting their own goals is we're, we're, you've heard this said a million times, we overestimate what we can accomplish in a year. And we grossly underestimate what we can accomplish in five or 10 years. And because I moved out to LA and and I had these kind of unrealistic expectations a little bit of what I could accomplish in a year, you know, after going and hearing a hundred no's and then getting, finally getting booked for the yes, instead of like really celebrating that, I looked at the $200 and said, this is a joke. I got really frustrated. It really spiraled me down into a, a, you know, a negative, a negative trajectory instead of it being something that could have really bolstered my career. I feel like in some ways it kind of set me in the wrong direction not because it was a bad gig, but it was because I didn't, first of all, I wasn't grateful for the gig. And second of all, I didn't take a look at it in a matter of a, it was a win. I had this unrealistic expectation that I was supposed to make X amount of dollars as a dancer. You know, I had some of my friends that were, that were, you know, dancers that had, had moved out there about the same time that I had. And uh, we're starting to book, you know, tours or book live show gigs and and of course, we always compare everybody else's, you know, success to our own, and then think that we uh, we understand what that means in in dollars and cents or whatever the deal is. And and then of course, we minimize what's going on in our own life. And so it kind of set me back, um, hmm. and and uh, and so much in fact that um, I ended up finding myself within about five months of that ending up. Going home now, I thought it was only going to be for three months, but since my transmission transmission fell out of my Cadillac, <laughs> the universe had different ideas
0: man that's crazy um, and i and I appreciate that you you brought it up and, and talked about it in that particular way is like you know what happens to you happens to you and and you can choose then how to respond and the two hundred dollar gig could have been like, hell yeah, I just got my first book gig like I'm finally getting some traction let's keep rolling or as you said, a slap in the face and, and you can choose how to respond to that. And that goes a little bit back to what we were talking before about the questions thing. So then fast forward a few months, you decided to go home. Is that what you're saying? And then, and then the transmission fell out of the car.
1: Yeah. So my, my parents are missionaries. I've grown up in a Christian family my whole life. And um, my grandfather has been in the ministry for like 65 years. My parents, after my dad um, retired, uh, my parents went into full-time mission work and they were over in Thailand for a while and Vietnam for a while, Africa for a while. Um, and now and currently right now they're even in Belize, but, um, my mom had called me because I'm the oldest of four at the time. This was in 2006. My mom had called me and said, Hey, Jesse, would you be willing to come home and help us out with our estate so that we can get things in order? Um, they were getting ready to move to Malawi, Africa. And, uh, and then, um, at the time, all my my my, my two younger siblings um, were in college, and then my very my we had a we have a uh, my youngest brother's 14 years younger than I am was still um, you know he was still going through uh, middle school. And so i I decided that I would come home and help them because some things were, were, I mean, it was really rocky in LA for me at the time too, because of my, my mental mindset. So I was actually in the middle of battling depression and all that nine yards. So then I came home and I thought it was only going to be for three months. I told my, my, my agency, McDonald's Selznick associates, I said, listen, I'm helping my parents for three months. Um, I'll be right back. And uh, you know, at the time I had $360 to my name. So yeah. I took all of that money, uh, loaded up my Cadillac Eldorado, and drove it home. And literally pulled into the driveway of my parents' house, and boom, transmission fell completely out of my car. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so so <laughs> that was that was a little uh, a little bit of a struggle.
0: Man, so up into this point, like you're just you know you're pursuing the Hollywood dream. It's not going the way you want, and partially you know your own. Um, your own attitude partially because, you know, that's, that's show business, I guess. Um, So then, then where, where does your story turn? Cause you've obviously done a lot of really amazing things just from a self help and uh, self development standpoint, but also just some of the accomplishments that I talked about in the intro, like you, you've really done some cool stuff. So, so what was the transition point for you um, into the next chapter there?
1: Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I came home and uh, I started um, I, again uh, because of my situation. Uh, I was really, really struggling mentally, battling depression again, and, and the whole nine yards. And and um, I got invited to go and speak at a at an Upward Bound program, which is a program for kids that are first generation college students. And um, they wanted me to just share my story about going to Hollywood and and um, all that kind of stuff. And dancing with people like Justin Timberlake and, and Rihanna and all those people. And so I went there as just a good deed to to do with the kids and, and do a workshop with them. And they handed me a $250 check after I was done and I wasn't expecting it. I was like, wait a minute, I can still dance and perform. I can inspire people to become what I believe they're meant to be because that's what I really, the whole reason why I wanted to do music and dancing was because I wanted people to understand if, if some outcast nerd band geek of a, you know, of a kid that had no reason to, to do something significant with his life can do something significant. You can too. Like that was my whole driving force. And so, um, when they gave me a check, I was like, I can do all that and make money. So then I started traveling around and, you know, doing high school assemblies for a year for a while. And then, uh, then I got back. Um, I got back into the sales game, working for Verizon. Did really well with the Verizon there. Then got scouted, went to to Best Buy. Did extremely well there. Um, ran my own Best Buy store. Um, it was right around the time that Best Buy started investing in in mobile pretty heavily, um, mm-hmm. and so I had helped out by taking their their Best Buy uh, mobile was 750th in the company, and we took it to number two in nine months. And wow. in during that time I had helped three other people get promoted to their own management's positions. And so they took me and moved me into an assistant management role. And there we just, we took the store and, and we, we thrived. But in 2013, I ended up getting a record deal. And for me, this was like the whole thing. Like I thought, man, this is going to be it. Like we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to do it. Cause the whole time that I was st- still in the corporate game, like I, I hadn't fully left my, my desire for music. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was still creating, creating things and spending money and creating things. And, and, um, so 2013 got the record deal, uh, nine months later, um, I quit my job to tour, did all this touring, but I signed a bad record deal. So it left me $170,000 in debt, almost facing bankruptcy. It was almost about to lose my house. And so I had to do something. And, uh, I called a friend of mine, uh, Mike Larson, who was crushing it in the hearing, uh, the hearing healthcare space. And he had just been asked to take over a failing franchise, uh, up where I live. And so he asked me to join forces with him and he, he's the one that really introduced me to personal growth and development. And, um, we took that hearing aid franchise from 476,000 to $4.4 4 million in sales in four years. We ripped the roof off of the industry, started getting a ton of people that wanted to know what we were doing. And that's really what springboarded me into what I'm doing now.
0: Dude, that's a that's a crazy story. And I'm sure that there's a ton to unpack in that. But I, if someone wants to get some more details on that, because I'm really curious about what you're doing now, they should it should hit you up and uh, you know check out some of your other stuff. But man, like you, you really kind of went up and down and up and down in a variety of ways. When you reached out to your, your buddy, you said, Mike, what was it that was that just kind of the last straw desperation move? Like I have nowhere else to turn or was that somewhat strategic and, and it, and it worked out really well the way you planned. Like, how did that come together for you in that moment of like, disaster almost. Yeah. I wish I could sound super
1: smart and say it was like ultra strategic, but I was like who's successful and making a crap ton of money cuz I need it. And um I just Mike was the first person that popped into my head because again, up until that time, I hadn't really surrounded myself with people that were making a lot of money that had an abundance mindset. In the music realm, it's a real dog eat dog world and there's a lot of people that are chewing on table scraps. Mm-hmm. And, um, they have a lot of bad mindsets. And so that was who I was surrounded with. Mike was the only person that I knew that was, that was making money and that, you know, was, was doing well. And so when, when I thought about him, you know, I called him cause he and I had sat down and had lunch. He had actually made offers for me to come work with him. But because I was like, nah, man, I don't. I I didn't want – I knew that my ultimate thing was as soon as I get a record deal or as soon as something else opens up for me in the music industry, I'm gone. And I didn't want to disappoint him if I got started with something with him and then something happened and I had to leave. So I always yep. turned him down. But this record deal failing, I was like, music is done. Like I am done. Like there is yeah. no way that I want anything to do with music or the industry anymore. So I guess I'm just going to have to do the 9 to 5 and be like – everybody else and just go and work and do a sales job. That was my mindset.
0: Mm -hmm. And I want to just say something that I think was, you said you weren't super strategic. Uh, However, you recognize, like you at least were strategic enough to be like, as opposed to going home and getting a job at Starbucks or something, Uh, you were like, Hey, who's crushing it? Who's doing something that I think is cool that I want to do? And how can I go get around that person? And and granted you had a uh, previous relationship with him clearly that had been sort of simmering for a while. And then you just, you just turned that onto a full boil. It sounds like, but you know, for the audience, like if you're in a situation, like, that's that you're, you're feeling up against it. You're not really sure what to do. Like the first thing that I talk about a lot of the time, people are always saying, how do I get started in this or that? Like go find someone who, you know, who's doing it or who knows someone who's doing what you want to do and try and get around them, you know, yep. whether it's getting to a business with them, you know, I, I've offered a, you know, do something for free, invest in their mastermind, get in there, get around them in some way. Uh, so that you can sort of absorb and then improve the, the, the people that are around you and thus improve what you think and what you do because I think that that is just so unbelievably important um, and well as we talked about over the last week and it build your network will take time off of your whole journey and yep. man like a, I think that's a really awesome example of, of doing that even if it wasn't totally strategic in that way um, since then so um you you guys came into a the hearing aid industry not the sexiest of things no necessarily (laughs) to sell at least you're not selling bmws or something but um obviously a huge market and i think a lot of people would would agree that sort of the baby boomer retiree market in general is a pretty big one to to be a part of but um you've obviously expanded out from that so so from hearing aids you know turning that thing up to a full boil getting to 4 million plus and then um in 4 years then then where where did you take that and then what was what what was the next step for you there
1: yeah so we you know during that time we had you know we were just like you said we were in a market that is doesn't have the sexiest uh doesn't have the sexiest connotation to it um really it's a product that has a lot of negative press and a lot of negative uh personal experiences so um and people really don't want to be there that are there. Like when it comes to, I was reading an article one time and when it comes to like favorite places to go, your hearing aid specialist was ranked below your dentist. Mm. Okay. So that just puts into context, like how bad people didn't want to be there. And so, you know, you have to be really good to, because people already have a million objections being in that office. And so, um, you know, what we, what we started to really study was, you know, a different way, a different approach to sales instead of being this person that was telling these, you know, to, and really you're, you're telling people that have lived a good chunk of their life. You know, my average client was the age of average age of my client was uh 69. Right. So you have people that are you know as young as 55 years old all the way up to 90 95 my oldest patient was 102 so wow. you know you got to think they've got all this experience in life and they look at you as some young punk kid that's trying to tell them what to do and so i had to we had to develop a different a different approach to sales and we 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 developed a sales process that that you know the average close rate in in the hearing healthcare space was 29% but our hearing consultants that were using our sales process were averaging close rates to uh, 68%. So um, you know, our average sale price was around double of what people that were that, you know, uh, double of the average and our, and our return rate, you have a return rate. So Hearing aids have a 40 to five day return rate from a return policy from the day that you put them in their ears. And typically it takes two weeks from the time they hear order the hearing aids to put them in their ears so they can take the product home and, and test it out for 45 days and return it and get their money back. Mm, You've got to wow. be really good at making sure that they're a hundred percent happy with whatever it is that you're doing because they're already skeptical from the get go. Yep. And so we, um, we took this process and, you know, we helped a lot of people make their first six figure income, um, as consultants. Um, I mean, we, I can't tell you how many times we had people that were making 30, $40,000 in other sales careers come and start making, you know, six figures after training with us for six months. Cause it took them six months to get licensed. And, um, and so, but we were, we're big thinkers and we're like, okay, it works in the hearing healthcare business. Does it work anywhere else? So yep. we started testing it in the health and wellness business. We started testing in the construction business. We started testing in the car business. We started testing it all over the place. And what we found was we didn't, we didn't stumble across a sales process. We stumbled upon a decision-making process, a life process that you can use in sales.
0: Can and you expand on that a little bit? Cause that's, that's an interesting, but subtle distinction.
1: Yeah. So, you know, and this is not something that we came up with after trying it with 20 people. This is thousands of case studies. And what we found out is that, you know, we all make buying decisions as human beings. Okay. We all make buying decisions, whether you're making a buying decision to buy a stick of gum or you're buying a a $1.5 million home, you're going through the same sales process. Now, the time it takes you to get through that sales process might be different. But it's, a, it's the exact same buying process that you go through. Typically, ultimately, what it is is that you buy for emotional reasons. You justify for logic reasons. And so you go through this sales process. And what, <clears throat> what's the, the biggest difference in the time that it takes you for making the, 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 the decision, as we talked about earlier, is the quality of questions you ask yourself is in direct proportion to the quality of the answers that you get.
0: Right. So when we,
1: when we go through and make a a decision, we're buying into that decision. So there's sales going on around us all the time. I'm selling myself on why I need to get my butt up at six 30 in the morning and go to the gym. Mm-hmm. I'm selling myself on why I should stay away from ice cream and, you know, probably eat a salad. Right. Yep. Those are buying decisions that I'm making all the time. Buying doesn't necessarily mean currency of money. To my, you need to buy into your decision. So what we started to realize is that I don't need to sell you anything. In fact, I'm hurting myself by trying to sell you something because people believe 7% of what they, what they hear. They believe 50% of what they read, but they believe 100% of what they say with their own mouth. Mm. So if I'm sitting here trying to tell you what you need to do you're not you're going to be much more op, you're going to be much more resistant around what I'm telling you to do than if it's something you're telling yourself you need to do well how do i get somebody to tell themselves what they should do ask them a question so we started to realize that there's these questions and there's this formula that you use to ask these questions, to lead them down their own decision buying process. So by the time you get to it, you're selling them nothing. They are buying everything.
0: That's awesome, man. I love, I love that distinction because it's so critical, especially a well, with anything, really. I I was going to say especially you know something like a hearing aid because I just remember from my experience with my grandparents, aside from the fact that they never ha- had anything good to say about them, they were stubborn, they didn't want to wear them, et cetera, et cetera. So yep. um, the fact that you started in a place like that, and, and built this process and have taken it into other industries is killer. And now what you're doing is pretty, you you've taken into these other industries, this, this process, and um, now you've, you've started to sort of expand it and turn this into sort of a consulting co- coaching thing. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 And you, you've got a big, you've got a big launch of something coming up here soon. So I'd, I'd love to give you a chance to tell us about that and where that came from.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, I just love love helping people, and so you know i've been coaching people around our sales process and doing that for the last four years, but you know you can only help so many people when you're doing it one on one or doing it live or and 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 so I kept getting these people that would want me to help them with their sales, but really couldn't pay me what I needed to charge in order for me to dedicate just my time to them. I wanted to find out if there was a way for me to to uh you know put this online and still get the same effect. And so um, I had done a couple of test runs with segments of people. And uh, what we have done is, is, as I've put that entire sales process, I've, I've put the entire sales process down to, I mean, down to a science to where we've actually put scripts together for people so that they have the exact wording and all that kind of stuff. And we've put in an online course called the real secret to sales And um, we're teaching the philosophies behind really a consultative approach as opposed to a sales professional approach. What I mean by that is most sales professionals will do a lot of telling to sell their products. We teach how to coach, how to ask the right questions so that at the end of the process people are literally saying yep I want to buy that here's my credit card as opposed to, and you not having to use all these hard closing tactics and overcoming objections because the worst thing that you can do is overcome somebody's objection because now you're just telling them they're wrong and you've destroyed your relationship that you've been busy building with them up until that point so we go through basically the whole process and 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 what it looks like how to execute it and and now it's in an online format so I can help masses of people instead of trying to do everything one on one
0: jesse that's killer man um definitely excited for that to come out and and we'll definitely post uh Post about it and, and then throw it down into the show notes so anyone listening to this can go check it out um, once it's live. And you know I, we're getting to the end here. I want to respect your time because I know you're busy. But before we head into the Focus Five, the last uh, five questions I ask every guest on every show, um, can you give us just a little bit of a teaser, a little something that that the audience can take away, uh, a distinction between a, a selling and a telling approach, if you will, um, and yours and the more consultative approach.
1: Yeah. So really quick, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. So people buy for emotional reasons and they justify for logic reasons. We have been taught for so long feature benefit, feature benefit, feature benefit. That's all logic. People don't buy for logical reasons. They justify it. What I mean by that is, is what gets us moving. And I've already alluded to it already is energy or emotion is what puts us into motion, right? Energy and motion. So you need to get them emotionally involved in whatever it is that, that, that they are, um, that you are talking about. So the best way to do that is to ask them a couple of questions and you wanna focus on, um, you know, Tony Robbins says this, is that an undisturbed prospect is an unwilling one. What he means by that is that if you don't figure out a way to stir up the emotions that they have, they might be buried, but that doesn't mean you can't bring them back up. So what you need to do is you need to get really clear on what are the the top five areas What are the top five areas that most of your clients experience problems in? I'll take, for example, in the hearing industry, it was you know their one-on-one conversations with their loved ones, listening to the TV, conversations in the car, talking on the telephone, and then when they get into a group of people. Those are the top five troubled areas for most people with hearing problems. Whatever it is for your industry, it's probably you probably know what those are really easily. Whenever I'm getting into this, sitting down with a prospect, the first question I ask, to start the whole thing off. And this is so important. What are you hoping to accomplish with today's appointment? Sometimes by me asking that one question, I can sit back for 15 minutes and take notes because they will just go ahead and spill their guts to you on what exactly it is that they're struggling with. And so if they if they don't give me um, what exactly it is that they're, you know, struggling with, they might just say, well, I want to hear better. (laughs) Okay, great. So, so tell me a little bit more about that. Okay. Now, if I have to go as far as to say, so how does it go when you're having a conversation with your husband or having a conversation with your wife? Well, it's really frustrating. It's, it's, you know, I can't hear her. She mumbles. Okay. Well, tell me about that. Well, you know, I, I can't understand her very well. So, um, I just, I just pretty much ignore her because, I don't really get what she's saying. Here's the key to the whole nine yards, and this is what people don't do. Tell me how that impacts your life. Well, Mm. she gets frustrated with me. Okay, what do you mean she gets frustrated with me? Well, she tells me I don't really listen to her and that I don't pay attention to her. Here is another key question that 99% of sales professionals, entrepreneurs don't ask. How does that make you feel? like garbage. Okay. So if, if you didn't have to deal with that anymore, if that wasn't the case anymore, how would that impact your life? Well, I bet you my, I bet you her and I wouldn't get into arguments as much. Well, how would that make you feel? Uh, pretty amazing. See, everybody wants to move away from pain and towards pleasure. Yep. And if you can give them a clear path, From pain to pleasure. And because our brains don't know the difference between dreams and a reality, and there's power in the words that we speak, when they start speaking those words, they feel those emotions. And so that's really what gets your client that is that, you know, is sitting back there. I've seen it so many times. I get clients that would come in my office and they would be sitting back, and you've probably seen this, sitting back with their arms folded. They are closed off as all get out. And you start asking those questions and start digging into those areas and people start to open up. Now, here's the key. If you only, if you get less than three pain points on any client, you have less than a 17% chance of closing the deal. If you get five or more, you have an 80% chance of closing the deal. Now, I'm not saying you're going to close the deals 80% of the time, but you have an 80% chance of closing the deal. That's much higher than 17. That's why emotional pain points are so crucial in finding out how, what is the, you know, motivator for your clients to buy.
0: Absolutely, man. That was, that was total gold. And you got to go wind that back a couple of times uh, and re-listen to that. Cause Jesse just, just dropped some knowledge here. And I just want to honor the fact that like, Some of you may not consider yourself as salespeople, your job or your, you know, your home life or whatever. This is all applicable in the same exact way. You just change the wording a touch um, in the the conversation because the, you know, the conversation with uh, your wife or your husband or your kids or your colleagues, or your coworkers or whatever, like this kind of conversation um, and overcoming objections can be used anywhere. So let's not, let's not just put it into a selling, you know, closing arena and let's, let's take that and potentially use that in other areas of our life.
1: Yeah. Hans, I'll tell you this. When I started, when we started going around and teaching this out, we started finding that, um, People were hiring us to do this. People were hiring me to do this when they, had, when they had conflict within their own workplace. Because this is the same type of conversation that you have, again, because buying is not just currency dependent, right? We're buying into right. a person. We're buying into a decision. And I will teach leaders this exact same process that they can have with their, with their people because their biggest thing as leaders, they need to sell them on the idea, the vision of the company. So this is super powerful when you're having conversations with your leadership staff, when you're having conversations with with anybody that you need to get bought into a vision, this same conversation applies.
0: Man, that's killer. And uh, we could go deep on this, but we're we're running out of time, and I I do want to respect yours and transition us over and if obviously if anyone wants to learn more go down to the show notes all of jesse's information is down there and he'd be happy to connect with you one-on-one there so we're going to go ahead and get into the focus five which is the final five questions i ask every guest on every show uh jesse are you ready i am ready hell yeah man what is one book that you've gifted most often
1: Ooh, uh the 15 invaluable laws of growth by john maxwell
0: Fantastic! If you could get an hour of someone's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be, and why?
1: Man, that is that is an awesome question.
0: I would have to say, just
1: because right now I am so deep in the study of Thinking Rich by Napoleon Hill, I think it would be fascinating to sit down and talk with him, just because. When you talk with him, you are talking to, he literally interviewed 25,000 people when he wrote that book, 500 of which were the top income earners uh, in the world at that time. And to, to get that many minds together under one, one brain would be an absolute fascinating conversation.
0: Fantastic answer, man. Uh, what is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on?
1: Ooh, <laughs> that... Um, if you live your life by grace instead of just by principle you'll get much farther ahead
0: can you expand on that just a little bit cuz i'm i'm yeah. curious now and i'm sure the audience is as well so we're taught that
1: you know you have you have so many chances okay somebody does you wrong They have, you have, they have so many chances before you cut them out of your life or do all these kinds of things. And what I have learned probably because most of all through my own life is that when you give people grace, grace doesn't run out. Now there's a difference between boundaries and, uh, and, 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 you know, cutting somebody off. But when you, when you continue to give and you continue to love people, regardless of what they do for you or do to you, that will get you much farther than life than cutting people off being bitter and resenting other people for what they have done to you and when you live a life of grace um and you and you 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 understand that that love is the love is the the biggest desire that every human being has on the planet and when you operate out of that you come from a much healthier place and uh, you're not affected by what people do to you because you just keep war- you just keep loving out of the way that you were d- designed to be basically
0: Thank you man that that's awesome I appreciate you bringing that up. You alluded to it a little bit earlier but give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day?
1: Man, um now it's it's yeah, it's it's gym, get up in the morning, go to the gym, then I do devotions and uh take some time. I'm a I'm a big worship music fan, so um I take some time and listen to some worship music get in get into the zone and 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 really um just get focused on what I'm grateful for, what God's done for me in my life. And, and, uh, then I, then I start
0: my day. Oh yeah, man. Um, what is the best place online that the audience can connect with you the most? Yeah.
1: So I spend a lot of time. Um, I spend a lot of time on Facebook. I have a free Facebook group, um, inspired motivated sales leaders that I spend a lot of time just dropping as much gold as I can for my audience to help them increase their sales. Um, and uh, also mindset tricks on, on how, to, how to get out of your own head. And so I spend a lot of time in there.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm going to link to that as well as your website in the show notes. Um, and so anyone who wants to connect with Jesse on a deeper level, go check out his Facebook group and obviously go check out the website. And then you've got the course launch in- uh, fairly soon and probably by the time this podcast is out, you will be live. So we will yeah. make sure to link to that as well. So you can awesome. check out his, uh, his course. Guys, hopefully you got as much out of this as I did. Jesse, you crushed it today. Thank you for bringing the energy and all the uh, awesome anecdotes and, and stories that you brought and uh, really look forward to getting to know you better. Here's to a good 2020. All right, man. appreciate the, the opportunity of being on here. Thank you. Appreciate you, brother. Have a good one. And that does it for today. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation with Jesse just as much as I did. Uh, Go check out his Facebook group. I have it linked down in the show notes. It's Elite Sales Mastery on Facebook. Um, I've also got uh, his Real Secrets to Sales, which is launching as of the recording of this podcast. So I'll drop that in the show notes if you want to hear more formally what he's doing with his live trainings and Uh, Content and that sort of thing. Um, That'll be down in the show notes. And obviously, down there is my Calendly link. I would love to uh, have a conversation with you, get to know you, get some feedback on how I'm doing, uh, what I can do better, and uh, what you're liking on the podcast so I can just keep making this a better experience. And if you are getting value out of this, I'd really appreciate it if you go onto iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, hit subscribe and leave a written rating and review because it really does help with the algorithms. helps me uh, reach a few more people who, who might need to hear uh, the conversations we're having. So go into the show notes, leave me a written rating review. I'd really appreciate it and uh, really looking forward to connecting with you personally soon. Uh, so without any further ado, I'm going to sign it off. This is Hans Strazina with Another Way to Play uh, and remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for
1: joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief S-N-A-H on Instagram and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.